You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. Before we get into the show... I just want to go over a few things. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Also, check us out on Facebook under Millionaires Unveiled. And we have some new things on the website, uh, millionairesunveiled.com, as well as on Twitter. Also, we're closing on some deals in the multifamily space here shortly. And if you'd like to, uh, to talk with us about those, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. So on today's show, we have Michael, and his current net worth is, is just under $2.1 million. And that's divided. He's got equities of about $625,000, 100K in cash that he holds, and the rest is in about three single-family investments and then a syndication, a multifamily syndication deal. And he worked in IT and then eventually started a business and sold the business after the dot-com doom, as he called it. And so we talked to him about his single-family rentals. We also talked to him about his shift from single stocks to, to, to actively manage mutual funds and then to now in index funds. And so without further ado, let's listen to the interview with Michael. Welcome to Millionaires Unveiled. Today on the call, we've got Michael. Michael, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so I am currently 40 years old, and uh, I used to run an IT support company with a couple other guys. We started that pretty much out of school. I worked for a company for about a year and a half or so. Uh, this is during the dot-com boom, and uh, quickly thereafter was the dot-com doom. And so uh, <laughs> basically when the uh, economy imploded, I left and started a company. Um, so I did that for basically about 10 years or so. And at that point, we got a couple of unsolicited offers to sell the company. Um, I was getting a little antsy, kind of doing the same thing over and over, um, and decided to kind of exit at that point. And uh, did a transition with a new company for about a year and a half and have been uh, early retired ever since. So I was about 36 at the time. Cool. And what is your net worth today? Uh, so net worth today is a little over $2 million, like $2 million, 35000 and change. Okay. And how is that broken up? Sure. So for me, a good chunk of that is in real estate. Um, it's a combination of my personal residence plus three income properties. Uh, most of them are single family homes. Um, I've got one in San Diego here and then another two in Las Vegas. And then my personal residence is also in San Diego. Um, the other The other portion of the net worth is also... A component there's about 625 grand or so in equities um, so stocks bonds mutual funds and well index funds I used to have mutual funds not anymore um, and um, and some miscellaneous other types of investments that I participate in um, for example I have some let's see multi-unit and apartment uh, interests in Texas and Venice Beach California and how much of that money that's in the market is in pre-tax accounts? 
Um, as far as pre-tax accounts, there's probably about, let's see, 200 grand or so. Okay, cool. And what are your top holdings? Uh, top holdings as of today, Amazon. Amazon's definitely one of the top holdings. Um, and But I have actually been slowly converting to actually just doing a lot of index funds. So um, probably by the end of this coming year, it'll all be phased out of individual stocks and more put into index funds. And how come you are, are doing that? I mean, Amazon's been on, on a tear, and I'm assuming you've probably owned it for quite a while. How come you're converting all that into index funds? Sure, yeah. So, you know, I think as um, now that I'm 40 years old, I've had a little time to make a few different mistakes along the way. And uh, in the beginning, I was, I was pretty conservative and figured, hey, I can just dollar cost average into the market. And, you know, I was doing decently when the markets were down. Um, didn't seem like much of the time, but it's grown over time. And then I started building some confidence and I thought I could time the market. So I started buying things like Amazon. I actually bought it at 10 bucks a share oh. quite a while ago. Um, doubled my money and then I was like, sweet, I'm going to I'm gonna profit from this and took all my money out pretty much except for maybe 15 shares. So um, <laughs> yeah, I've got 15 shares left and I could have had like a good chunk, but I didn't. So Everything's 2020 in hindsight, but the per point is that I think what I realized over time was that it's very difficult to time some of these high flyers. And, you know, for obviously, you know, it's a good story, but there's also some that didn't do as well, went the other way. And over time, I realized that, you know, I was matching the market or maybe just under, just above every single year. So eventually I realized, well, why am I spending my time doing this if I just left it in a nice index fund? and just kind of let it ride out, and then I could focus my efforts elsewhere. So that's kind of my train of thought currently. And that's kind of been your thought to get yourself out of actively managed mutual funds as well? Yeah, so I think one of the things that I realized um, you know, somewhat recently in the last few years was just kind of the amount of commissions that are kind of built into some of the mutual funds um, and just how much they kind of take out in these loads, and there's all these hidden fees. So uh, Tony Robbins' book, I think Money Master the Game, was really kind of the first one that kind of really pointed that out to me. And I was like, wow, they're just kind of you know killing us over time. So quickly took all those mutual funds and then found kind of you know the closest thing that I could find in terms of an index fund and stuck it in there. And now these you know the fees are minimal, um, and it's been great ever since. So let me back up a little bit. How did you kind of get started in investing? Did you did you start right out of college? Did you learn that from your parents? Did you learn it on your own? How did that start? Sure. Um, I think, you know, growing up, I definitely had some family that were pretty well-to-do. So it was kind of cool to see um, them kind of build a lifestyle of early retirement. Um, and they were like uncles that, you know, had retired early kind of around the age of 40. My parents specifically weren't necessarily in that in that camp. We were kind of like, you know, relative to the rest of the company, like the poor ones, so to speak. So I was always kind of eager to kind of figure out, hey, what did they do differently than, you know, kind of what our family was doing? And, uh, you know, you know, they're happy to share information. And so over the course of time, I just started reading books. And one of the books that, you know, you hear about a lot, obviously, is like Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I think that really just opened up my eyes to, you know, kind of thinking about money differently. So when I finally got a job um, out of school, 
I just started putting away money and started saving dollar cost averaging. Back then, there was a company called ShareBuilder, and it let you kind of put small increments of money. I think I put like maybe 20 bucks a month into the stock market and I was buying like maybe five different types of stocks at $5 a piece. So $5 would be allocated to like Dell and let's just say it was $30 at the time. You know, you get a six of a share that that week and just slowly kind of, you know, you know, entered the market that way. And, you know, just over time, I just kind of consistently, very consistently increased that as, you know, my salary would go up, I would allocate more. Um, and just, yeah, it's, it is really a thing about being consistent over time. And what would you say when you were working, what was your savings rate? Would you say what at the highest point, maybe what did it get to? I think at the highest point, I was probably saving around 50% or so. And so you started out in single stocks. Now you're shifting more towards index funds. And then where did, where did real estate, multifamily and single family, when did that come in? Sure. So I think with the real estate investments, Um, I really started getting interested right around the early 2000s. So I started reading a number of different books on real estate investments. I really like real estate because it's, you know, different than stocks in that you can leverage it. And if you're purchasing it properly, then you can actually, you know, leverage that money and make even more and get, you know, a lot of good passive cash flow. So I really love that aspect of it. Having said that, you have to find the proper asset to purchase as an investment. It's not just like a stock that you can just go out and buy, you know, you have to analyze it. But if you find something that actually makes sense, then you can improve it yourself. You can actually do different things to that asset to increase the value over time. So that's where I really kind of became interested in real estate was being able to see those types of potentials. Um, And so I, to be honest, I actually, it took me a very long time to jump into the market And uh, my first, when I finally jumped in the market, maybe like four or five years later, my very first rental property I purchased, I wasn't actually able to rent. (laughs) Just a disclosure. (laughs) And there was no rental policy in place for 99 years. So then what? You sold it or you moved in or what happened? (laughs) So the the silver line to that story is that I ended up using it as a vacation rental. Um, that wasn't much of a vacation because every time I would go there, it was in Las Vegas, I would have to basically clean up the yard and take care of all the HOA issues that had come up over the last quarter. Um, but I held on to the property for basically a few years. And the good thing is I bought it during a downturn, which was around, I think I bought around 2010. I think by the time 2015 came around, I had gotten all my money back and a little bit more. So I sold it at that point. So you were able to, you were able to exit I was. That's nice. So did it concern you that you were buying a, a, a rental property away from where your primary residence was, away from where you were living? Um, not too much. Um, I think, you know, if you have the proper team in place, then it's not really a big deal because if you have a good property manager in place, they'll take care of all the calls, all the issues. Um, you obviously have to interact with them, but it's just usually a couple phone calls here and there, maybe some emails. And uh, yeah, that's about it. And how did you find that team? How did you find the property manager specifically? Um, so I kind of went out and I just, I, I did a scan of probably like, I think a dozen different property managers. And I kind of created a spreadsheet and put them side by side. And each of them had different like, you know, components. Some of them said, hey, we charge 8%, 12%. 
So I just kind of went through and I listed out all the very specifics that I was looking to do and just kind of looked at, you know, which ones were reputable, which ones, um, you know, how big they were and just kind of took a balance of those two and landed on one that was, you know, that I was comfortable with and I'm still using them today. And so what management fee do you pay them per month? So with this particular one, I think I pay about 8%. To them. And that's collected rent, I assume. Yes. And then the multifamily kind of talked about how you were involved in a syndication that came after the single families, I assume. Uh, yes, that came out. That came later on. Um, I had a couple kids, like uh, right around when um, I took my early retirement and became a stay-at-home dad as well. So at that point, even though I wanted to go out and get more properties, it was a little bit more cumbersome. So wasn't able to kind of go look at properties physically. I could obviously look online. But at that point, I shifted more to a kind of a passive investor role and have been picking up properties or little fractions of properties through sites like Realty Shares, um, which is like a it's like a crowdfunding type of real estate investment site that allows you to kind of pick up, you know, individual fractions of a investment. And then for the multi-units, it's the same thing. I did a syndication with a friend that actually went out and they found a I think a 192-unit uh, apartment building in Texas, and that was actually just this last last month or so. So that's pretty recent. So, how come you've decided to allocate your portfolio the way you have? You're pretty heavy in real estate. Maybe call it 70, 65, 70 percent. Yeah, no, I, I think the reason why it's it's pretty heavy in the real estate is um, kind of going back to where I saw my own family members, my uncles. That's kind of really where they had their bread and butter was in real estate. Um, you know, they, most of, most of them got to kind of got to a place where they had enough passive income, or was you know covering, you know, a normal person's salary plus more, and then the value of those, you know, individual properties were actually growing over time as well. So if they needed more money, they could pull it out through uh, refi or, or whatnot. Um, so that's kind of where I got I think most of the idea to kind of put. A good chunk of that money there. Although, ironically, I've actually probably put more money into the stock market. It's just that the real estate has actually grown more over time in terms of value. You you mentioned that you've got zero consumer and credit card debt. How valuable has that been in your journey to pursue financial independence and early retirement? Um, I think it, it's been great. I think you know that's something that I, I can definitely credit my dad, mom with. Um, for whatever reason, they just told me from the get-go, hey, don't like, don't ever, <laughs> make sure you pay off your your bills every single month. And I was like, okay, well, why not? And I just thought that's the way it was. Come to find out later on, obviously, is that you could obviously float things indefinitely. But um, I think that lesson early on um, and just building that habit makes it that much easier. And so having that, I think, that background and that knowledge just to kind of keep things consistent, um, you know, made that just that much easier because I think, you know, talking to my friends that do have some debt, I mean, it's very difficult once you kind of go down that spiral and you're paying the credit card companies is, you know, their, their crazy amount of passive income they're getting from it is, is, is insane. So, um, the good news is, you know, definitely there's lots of people that are in debt and they figure out how to get out of it. So, where do you go from here? Do you have a target net worth that you're trying to hit or dollar amount of passive income? Yeah, definitely. Um, my target right now is to get to 10 million by the time I'm 50. 
So that gives me roughly 10 years or so to get there. Um, and so that's going to be, I think, the goal is to really kind of do, you know, some of the same. Obviously, I don't have an income anymore, so I'm not able to allocate as much money into the market or purchase properties like I was before. But having said that, I think in the next year or two, once my kids are both fully in school, I'll probably focus much more on the blog that I have and my coaching practice. Um, and then, you know, definitely I think there's going to be a correction with some of the real estate in the next few years and kind of go out there and do some deals and pick up some properties that are undervalued. So are you planning to, to get to that $10 million basically through real estate or are you going to invest a little bit in the market as well? Um, I'd like to do it kind of like, yeah, some diversification. So I kind of want to, def- I think, you know, having, you know, most of it right now in real estate, it's it's okay, but I'd like to kind of shift a little bit more maybe into the market. Um, but, you know, having said that, I mean, 50-50 would be great. 65, 35 in real estate would be fine too. So we'll see, you know, ultimately where that comes out. Um, but that's, yeah, that's kind of where, that's where I'm headed. Do you have an income goal on that $10 million? Um, Yeah, I think the, the goal with that is to get about 250000 passive income. Okay. Per year. So you've mentioned that you've read 139 personal finance and investing books. Which of all those have been some of your favorites? <laughs> oh, man. There's so many. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think, I think the one that affected me the most is really Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because that was, that was really the, the psychological kind of pivot point where, you know, I saw what my... I saw what my relatives were doing, but I didn't quite understand it until I read it kind of at a at its most basic level. Um, and it really kind of changed the psychology and, and knowing that, you know, if you want to be in this side of the equation, you can, but you got to change the way you think. And then from there, um, it's just like, you know, reading. There's another book of his that's not as well known called uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cashflow Quadrant. And I like that one, too, because... It talks a little bit more in terms of specifics of cash flow and how important that is to understanding your own numbers um, and being able to use that knowledge to grow your own assets and um, and realize that that wealth creation. And then from there, really, I think some of the, the books that really struck a chord were some of the technical ones um, that talked about cash flow, um, finance with properties, because there's a lot of information that there's a lot of stuff, I think, to digest with real estate investing. A lot of times the media, I think, glamour, glamorizes real estate investing. And, and a lot of people say that they're real estate investors and they're not really investors. They're more real estate speculators. So really understanding the numbers um, is something that most people don't take the time to do. But if you do, I think the rewards are, are huge. Um, and then finally, uh, one of the other books that I mentioned earlier was just, you know, Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins. I mean, that was that was critical. And just understanding the way that the financial system is kind of set up and almost rigged to a certain extent um, with brokers that are not fiduciaries that are, you know, basically selling you stuff. And they probably mean, well, they're good meaning people. But at the end of the day, they don't have to put you into something that is the best for you. It just has to be something that's suitable for you and understanding what the differentiation is 
between what a good investment is in the market and not just based, not even talking about market returns, but just based off of fees. I mean, it's huge. So along those same lines, have you ever used a financial advisor? So up until now, I haven't really used a financial advisor. Um, through my bank, um, you know, they give you some wealth advisors and different things of that nature. But the interesting thing is actually, I decided to actually sign up with a firm um, just recently that is a financial planner advisor and they're a complete fiduciary, meaning that they basically just work for you. They don't sell me anything. They don't get any back-end commissions. I pay them strictly a fee every single year. And what I really like about this company is that it's a team of people and the level of sophistication is something that you know I could potentially do on my own, but I would have to have a lot of time to do it. And given that I haven't done some of these things yet, um, tells me that I should probably <laughs> outsource some of it. So, And, and so um, what exactly are they doing for you? So they're going to basically be helping me to manage the 625 grand um, of equities. And they're going to be going in. And in addition to that, looking at all of my assets. So in addition, some of the properties. And in addition to just kind of making sure that my, my portfolio is balanced according to how I want it. They're going to go in and provide tax planning advice and um, and legal advice kind of in terms around estate planning. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I'm going to try them out for a year, see how they do. And uh, if I kind of feel that the value is there, I'm going to keep using them. Do a little experiment. Yeah. And, and do they charge you a fee based on the percentage of your total assets? Is that how it's it structured? Does. Yep. And, yeah, so and, in this case, I think it was anything over $500,000 you basically pay a point, so 1% every year. Okay, okay. So you retired how many years ago, or at what age? Uh, age 36, so four years. And how much did you have when you retired? Good question. I would say probably about million four, million three. And did you think that that was going to be enough? Obviously you did because you retired, but what were your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I didn't, I mean, so basically my wife also works and she's a school teacher, so she has a pretty steady income. So that coupled with um, the severance that I had at the time, um, some of the real estate uh, income that we have from there and, you know, that coupled with everything else, I thought that that could at least, you know, float me for a while, which held true. And then after a while, I started to realize, hey, I can keep this going indefinitely, Um I, you know, I really kind of cherish this time with my kids. So I'm going to basically, you know, focus my time on my kids while they're at home. And so from here, the game plan is to basically, um, once they're in school fully, with the youngest one being three right now, once he's in kindergarten, then kind of go back and do something more along the lines of kind of building my own business or right now I have a blog that I can, you know, really focus on and help other people in some component and aspect. Uh, and finance. so what's, let me ask about your blog. What's the purpose of that? What are you trying sure. to teach or what are you trying to get out? Sure. So my blog is called Financially Alert. And it's really to kind of share with people, um, you know, kind of get in, getting into the right mindset. So really understanding the psychological component of wealth creation, because that's, I think that's the biggest key. 
Um, Tony Robbins always talks about how it's 80% psychology, 20% mechanics. And it, and it's so true. I mean, the mechanics, of course, are important because at some point you have to execute. But if you don't even get the psychology right, you'll never you'll never even bother, you know, trying to do the mechanics until you get your mindset right. So my blog's kind of really talking about a number of those different components, but it's kind of a little bit of personal development, uh, financial understanding, investing, um, and the new term that's out there is fire. So financial independence, retiring early. And, uh, since, you know, I'm one of the early retirees out there, I figured I'd kind of ride that, uh, ride that hashtag and, um, <laughs> you know, help as many people as I can just, you know, since I'm loving it. Gotcha. Was your wife okay with you retiring? You know, she, she's been pretty supportive. Um, you know, there's some inherent challenges, um, obviously, but it's, she's she's been very supportive and um you know she gets a little jittery sometimes knowing that obviously i don't have the income that i used to have um but having said that you know i've been not working for the last four years and our net worth has grown substantially and you know of course that's in large part because of the economy but it just kind of goes to show you if you set you know if you plant enough seeds early on then uh you know, the compound interest really does work over time. Yeah. And what was that, you know, what was your range of income while you were working? What did you give up? Sure. So when I exited, I was making maybe about 130 grand. And prior to that, you know, it was very steady. There's actually a post, I think, on my site, um, if you guys want to link up to it, that actually shows my income um, from when I first started. I think when we first started the company, I might have made like 60 grand the first year. And just slowly kind of over time, ticked up 70, 80, 100 eventually and kind of just, you know, it was very steady. And it wasn't like I was making, you know, a ton of money, um, but I was very consistent, I think, back to kind of doing some of the savings and investing over time. And, uh, and yeah, really kind of feeding my mind. And so when the time came around to invest in some of the real estate in 2010, 2011, you know, I was, I was pretty ready at that point. Did you have a plan to retire early back when you started the company? Um, I don't know if I had a necessarily plan. I always told my wife that I wanted to retire early. I didn't have any specific date. I think I said before 40. Um, so when I came to her at 36, she was probably like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> You're five years too early. Yes, yes. What mistakes have you made along the way? Oh, man, I've made plenty of mistakes. So I, I told you about my $10, you know, Amazon acquisition, which was pretty cool, right, per share. But I've also, like, bought tons of gold and silver that have basically, you know, gone up and gone back down. And I've lost tens of thousands of dollars in that. Um, so that's not too glamorous. Um, but But it's great. I mean, I think losing money is a really good kind of vehicle to humble you because sometimes, you know, when the market is just going strong, um, it's easy to kind of feel like you're invincible. And I think there's always that fundamental inherent danger of, you know, thinking that you're invincible. So, um, you know, I like kind of getting knocked back down because it gives me learning lessons. It keeps me in the game, but also at the same time keeps me humble so I kind of like that kind of general mix. I like 
I like to take risks, but I like I like to take calculated risks. Do you still buy gold and silver? I, I do not. Gotcha. What advice would you give to a 25 or 30 year old just starting out? Um, I think for the yeah for the 25 30 year old, um, you know I think just get your feet wet. Um, you know if you're not investing yet now, um, talk to your employer and see if they have you know some sort of retirement plan that you can participate in. And definitely, if they're contributing anything, um, you know, with with your benefits, you know, you, you got to do that at, at least so you can get the match because that's free money right there. Um, but really, it, the, I think the biggest secret I think wealth creation is creating a habit early on so that it becomes easy and you're able to do it consistently over time. And once it's just ingrained and becomes a habit, it's not hard to do, and it'll just kind of just happen almost automatically um so jim Rohn always you know says like you know things are easy to do and they're easy not to do so you might as well do the things that are easy to do and just keep doing them and uh creating the great habits good stuff i'm going to take a, a question from our listeners you mentioned that you've got about 100k in cash is that sufficient for your net worth? And do you are you saving for anything specific with that amount? Yeah, that's an interesting question um, because the my new financial advisor was just mentioning uh, that's that seems like a little bit much for you know the the amount of assets that you have, and um, for whatever reason, I think there was just like this number of hundred grand that we felt comfortable with. Um, but I think for the bare minimums in terms of having an emergency fund in case, you know, you ever lost your job, I think most people are comfortable with two to six months. For us, for me, I think a year, hundred grand, you know, could support us for a year comfortably. Cool stuff. We well, appreciate you coming on the show today, Michael. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.